This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 7th, 2022. Warped. Love the sinner, not the sin. It's a glorious day to be part of God's kingdom, amen? Yeah. Of course, every day Christ is in your life, it's a glorious day. So we're going to start a new series today. It's called Warped. It's a series in which we, uh, we look at some expressions that we use, but, but, and, and, and they sound like they should come from Scripture, but, but they don't. And in fact, sometimes they are actually contrary to Scripture. You know, expressions like, God won't give you more than you can handle, or God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> this week we're going to talk about uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, good morning again. Yeah, there we go. So as, uh, as he said, whoever that was, um, we're starting a new series this morning called Warped. Who here remembers the old vinyl LPs? I guess they still make those, but yeah. Remember after it sat in your car for an hour in this kind of weather and it get kind of, mm, mm, and you know, you could tell what the song was, right? You could recognize the song, but it was a, just a little bit off. Are you with me? Just a little, and sometimes we'd be so better skip it to the next uh, play. But, well, that's what we're talking about in this series. You know, we have these expressions um, and I, I, they're not from bi the Bible. You don't find them, in the, although I, I give them a, a Bible name. I say they're from like Hezekiah because that's not really a book, but it sounds like it should be. Like the Hezekiah 5.17, uh, God help those who help themselves. I'm, you, you with me here? So we're going to uh, do four expressions, I think four. We have four or five weeks, whatever, how many ever weeks in August? Well, one every week. And we're going to take those expressions and kind of explore them and see what's What's not quite right about them? They're, they're close, but not quite. And that, that's true for today. Today, our expression is um, love the sinner. Maybe you've heard of this. Love the sinner, hate the sin. We're going to take a look at that. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Most holy God, I pray that what we, uh, what we do here this morning is pleasing to you, that we're faithful and that, um, and then it makes a difference. That it it, it it sings to our heart, and to our souls, and um, brings us closer to you and to one another, Lord. So I thank you. I praise you for this time together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all those gathered said, "Amen, Amen." Well, it's sure good to be with you here this morning. We're going to talk love the sinner, hate the sin. Let's start with this whole idea of sin. We talk about that a lot in church, you know, sin. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a couple words, but the primary word is uh, uh, kata, C-H-A-T-A, kata. And in the New Testament, the primary word is hamartia, or hamartia, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And, and both of those expressions mean, they're, they're like archery terms, they mean miss the mark. You know how when you're shooting at the target and you just you missed the mark. You're a little bit off. That's, that's what they, they both mean, to miss the mark. Uh, uh, biblically speaking, it, it means you're out of alignment with God. You know, out of alignment. You, you ever get your tires aligned? You know, you take it in. And if, before you have it, it's kind of pulling. You, feel, you can feel it pulling you. 
and, and they wear uneven. That's because they're not right. They're not in alignment. They're not lined up. And just like this, you're not quite lined up with God. You're a little bit off. And that's what this, uh, some of these expressions will do. And, and, and the thing about or, or this uh, sin, that's what it does. It's you're not in alignment. And, and the thing is, sin, it, it can be a couple of things. Um, it can be willful rebellion. Now, I'm sure that hasn't happened to anybody here. No one here has willfully gone contrary. Okay, maybe one or two. Uh, maybe me and maybe one other person. But, but then there's those uh, cases where uh, maybe you even unintentionally make a mistake. Unintentionally hurt someone. Unintentionally go contrary to God. And you might say, well, I didn't mean it, but we still did it, right? And so, and then there's all those in between, you know, and all that is sin. And we could be debate if sin is all sin the same or the, uh, that's not the point today. The point is we're contrary to God's will and, and we're contrary to God's will. There's a challenge. There's a challenge there. And, and, and so, um, and so Jesus, you know, talked a lot about this and, and he used something called prophetic hyperbole. Now, that's a, that's a good, that's a 50, that might be even a dollar because there's two words there. That's, 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 a, that's a payday there. Adam Hamilton in his book, Half-Truths, he talks about how Jesus engaged in, in prophetic hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration. You know, it's, you take it and you make it kind of to the extreme. And, and he kind of did this with some things in Scripture. Um, and what it does, the reason is it's not because he's trying to lead us astray. It's not because he's trying to lie to us. It's because he's making an exaggeration to focus us in and say, hey, this is important. Pay attention. Zone in. For example, Matthew 5, 27 to 28, NIV. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, right? That's one of the top 10, right? That's one of the 10 uh, uh, top no-nos. But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who looks at a woman, and I'll just add, or a man, um, lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Wow. That, that, includes, that includes a lot of people, doesn't it? You think, are they, is that really the same? I don't know. I, I doubt you're going to get a divorce over, over that. But what he's trying to do is make a point. Say, hey, this is important. And one reason important is because you start with it in your head, and then you take it out into actual action. That's where it all starts. Here's another one. This one's really, um, this one's really interesting. Matthew 5, 29 to 30, NIV. If your right eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And, and that if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Jesus seems to be exaggerating to get his point across, and he is, and, and it wakes us up. 
Do you think he wants everybody whose right eye caused him to stumble to gouge the right eye? I mean, I think just about everybody wouldn't have a right eye, right? And then most of us would be walking around like this. I, I'm, I'm not sure that he wants us to actually do it, but the, it's the, the point is, hello, this is important. Sin is serious business. And Jesus wants us to take it seriously, to give it careful thought and consideration, to avoid it at all costs. Okay, so what's wrong with this love the sinner, hate the sin? Well, first of all, Jesus never said that. He, he, said, he said, love your neighbor. And you say, well, everybody's my neighbor everybody's a sinner. It's one of those logic things. You know, this equals this equals this. So then, love the sinner, right? Eh, perhaps. The problem is this. When we say love the sinner, it puts us in a position of judgment, a position of power, a position of superiority. We are implying that the other person's sin is greater than mine. That mine it ain't so bad that they are worse than I am. Love the sinner implies that they are in need of mercy, forgiveness, of love. Maybe me not so much. Jesus said, love your, love your neighbor. He said, love your enemy. He didn't say we have to like them. <laughs> and maybe you have some neighbors you just don't like. Maybe you there's some people out there, you've tried and you just don't like them. He didn't say you got to like them. <laughs> they don't have to be our buddies. We don't have to invite them over for dinner. We don't have to go on vacation with them. <laughs> we don't have to even hang out with them. But we do have to care about them. And, 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 and we do have to make their needs important. We can't ignore or mistreat them. We're to love them. And when we love our neighbor, when we love our enemies, that's even better. Here's the thing. When we love them, the world changes. It changes the world. Transformation is possible when we love our neighbors, when we love our enemies. You know, it's no longer an eye-for-an-eye world. Of course, you know what, what Gandhi observed? <laughs> an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, doesn't it? Think about that one for a minute. Love your neighbor, love your enemy. As Adam Hamilton shares again in that book, Half Truths, when love the sinner is our mantra, we've put ourselves in a position of seeing others as sinners rather than neighbor and though we may emphasize that we are also sinners, our focus on the, other, on, the, on the other, a sinner, rather than as a neighbor, defines our relationship. I will love you despite the fact that you're a sinner. Loving the sinner implies <laughs> that I'm not one. <laughs> and if anything... That is not true. When we say love the sinner, it implies 
judgment on my part. It, uh, and, and we're told not to judge. Leave the judging to God. Judgment is mine, saith the Lord. And it's funny, Jesus didn't judge. And when I say judge, here's the thing. You know, this is tricky because you got to be careful here. When I say judge, I don't mean he didn't point out where the other person needed to make an adjustment or two. But he did it with love, not hate. He did it with compassion. He, he didn't, he did, wasn't judging in the sense of putting the other person down. The only time he did uh, that at all was with the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and the priests. And I think there he was just trying to shake them into a reality. And he had special concern for his followers, his closest inner circle, those disciples. And he was fearful that they may have a tendency to judge others, to feel superior, to, to try to make the others feel inferior. And he wanted to avoid that at all costs. It was this judgment-free zone of Jesus that drew many to him. And, and, and while it was the judgmental approach of the Pharisees that, that pushed many away. He used a simple but powerful metaphor to make his point. This is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is the New Revised Standard Version. Do not judge so that you may not be judged, for with judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but... Do not notice the log in your own eye. Or can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Wow. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. That's a pretty big thing to have in your eye, isn't it? Do you think he was seriously talking about how... Do you th who here thinks he's actually talking about having a log in your eye? That'd be almost impossible, right? Again, so we have that prophetic hyperbole. It's to make a point. That's a big honking piece of wood to have in your eye, isn't it? Uh. If that was in your eye, you'd probably be blind, wouldn't you? Take half your head off. But that's the point. You, you're so busy trying to take that little speck out of your nay. You got to get this out first, don't you? You got to get this out of your own eye first before you can remove that little tiny speck. It's in the eye of your neighbor. Isn't it funny how easy it is for us to see what's wrong with everybody else? <laughs> how easy it is for us to realize everybody's sin. <laughs> how much easier it is for us to look out there than to look in the mirror and see our own shortcomings, our own faults, our own sin. 
funny. Maybe our prayer needs to be, Jesus, help me to love my neighbor in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner. Jesus, help me to love my enemy in spite of my sin. Jesus, help me to get this log (laughs) out of my eye so that then I can remove that little speck from the eye of my neighbor. Jesus, help me to judge not lest I be judged. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Hate the sin. Jesus spent time with people who were called sinners by the churchified people. You know, he hung with prostitutes and tax collectors, thieves, adulterers, the least, the last, the lost. He even broke bread with him. Can you believe that? He healed them. He cast out their demons. He taught them. He loved them. He loved them. Funny, Jesus never says to them, I love you, but I hate your sin. I don't think you find that in Scripture, do you? I love you, but I hate your sin. He never says it. He may point the sin out to them, but not in a condescending way. And that's because Jesus' goal was not to look back, but to point them in a new direction. It wasn't to take them down, it was to give them new life. What he always tried to do was make things better, right? And that doesn't happen by concentrating on what was. He always talked about forgiveness. In chapter 7 of Luke, he's at a dinner party at the home of one of the Pharisees. And Scripture tells us that a woman, a sinful woman, possibly a prostitute, crashed the party. And she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Now, from one of the other gospel stories, we learn that this ointment is an expensive perfume. I think they call it nard, an expensive kind of perfume. And, and, And she comes in and She bathes Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes them with her hair. She kisses his feet and anoints them with this this expensive perfume. Can you imagine being at that that dinner party and seeing that happen? That'd be wild. And, and, And the Pharisee sought this, and he thought that if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was who was touching him. You know, that she was a prophet, she was a sinner. Well, Jesus did know who it was. (laughs) And he did know what she had done. But he also knew who she could be. And and he spoke up and he said to this guy, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And uh, Simon's a teacher, uh, he replied, speak. And then Jesus says this, he says, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both of them. Wow. 
Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she bathed my feet in her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's a wild scene, isn't it? Wow. The truth is, when Jesus talked about sin, (laughs) more often than not, it was the sin the religious leaders were committing. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, we find what's known as the seven woes. That sounds... That sounds like we're going to be in for something here. Seven woes. A series of seven examples of situations pointed out by Jesus in which the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are hypocritical in their dealings with people. Here's one example, Matthew 23, 27 through 28, New International Version. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Wow. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow. Hamilton points out that one of the main reasons people don't come to church is religious hypocrisy. People who point out the sins of others while acting as if they've got none of their own. Maybe you've heard that, seen it. I I hope we don't experience that here. I, I pray we don't experience that here. But, you know, and it even happens with preachers. And if you see me doing this, please uh, let me know because it's the last thing I would want to do. <laughs> um, you know, it, it looks like this. Uh, he uses a pronoun, you, and always adds if he points to <laughs> you instead of using pronoun we. Pointing at the congregation rather than putting his arm around and collectively uh, talking about our sinful nature. Point out our need for forgiveness rather than your need for forgiveness. The God love ha- the love God has for us. Here's the thing: sin and evil are in the world. True? They're part of the world. No argument there. And there are times 
when we have to speak up to denounce it, the sin around us, especially when it um, involves neglect, sins of abuse, sins of injustice. We, we, we can't just ignore that. We, we have to speak up. We need to hold accountable those responsible. While we're at it, recognize those areas in which um, we're part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Recognizing that we too are sinners. It's, it's one thing, though, to point out the sin. It's another to do it in such a way that we're making ourselves superior. Uh, forgetting that we are not, that we're sinners as well. <laughs> when we're acting like they're sinners and we're not. All too often, especially in the world today, love the sin or hate the sin is used when there's two sides to a debate. We're on one side and others are on the other. We disagree. It's okay to disagree, but we use this line in order to make it clear that we love the person, just not what they do. But in loving the person... We point out that they are the sinner. Right? Love the sinner. As though we're not. And we are. In loving the sinner, we have to put, uh, and when we do that, it puts us kind of in the superior position, a position from which we can look down on that other person. A position that is, in a word, a little bit warped. Because our job's not to judge, not to condemn, not to convict. Our job is to love, challenging as that might be at times. And it's important at times to hold people um, accountable, especially those close to us, to lovingly have those Crucial conversations, as challenging as they may be, you know, it's not fun to have them, and it's not fun to receive them, amen? But it's important sometimes. <laughs> it's important sometimes. I'm thankful for those conversations that hold me accountable. But that's not what we're really talking about here today. We're we're talking about having a judgy, condescending, holier-than-thou attitude towards someone else. And that's just not Christ-like, is it? We're all sinners. You know, if we all spent a lot more time focused on where we could be better, what we could do with our sin, less time what everybody else should be doing, probably be a, probably be a lot better off, wouldn't we? <laughs> Moment of, uh, we're reminded of this famous verse, I think, in the New Testament, maybe in all the Bible. John 3.16. But we're going to go and also include 3.17, because that's, that's pretty important too. Say, say it with me, will you? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, really pay attention here. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through him. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Well, if he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, he sure didn't send you or me to do it, did he? <laughs> no. Our job's to love, not hate, to encourage, not discourage, to build up, to not tear down, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I encourage us to, to use our gifts to glorify God and to edify. That means to build up, to edify others. <laughs> to take the log, <laughs> to take that big honking log out of our eye <laughs> before we attempt to take that speck from the eye of a brother or sister. <laughs> In the words of the prophet Micah, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen? That's the good news. Let's believe it. Let's live it. Let's pray. Our most holy God, that's a heck of a message today. And it's hard sometimes because it's so much easier to see what's wrong with everybody else. And yet... You call us to take that log out of our own eye before we take that speck from a brother or sister. Please give us the courage, the strength, and, 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 and help us to see that log. Help us to see what we're doing wrong. Help us to see our own sin. To seek your forgiveness and to seek a new direction, to, to find a new way. Please help us not love the sinner, but love our neighbor and love our enemy. And through that love, might realize transformation in this world. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All those gathered said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Connection Community Church. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, you can visit us on our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Thanks again for listening. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the new life he offers.